0: Alright, well if you have a Bible with you today, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 or turn on your device, however you're going to find access to the Bible, Matthew chapter 1. And as you're turning over there, I guess I'll start with a confession. Uh, My name is not legally Jody. I mean, it is Jody, but my name is not Jody. My legal name is Joseph. Uh, When I was born... For some strange reason, uh, when my parents were in the room with me and they brought the birth certificate, they wrote down the name Joseph, having every intention of calling me Jody. So my entire life I have told people I'm confused at who I really am. Legally, my name is Joseph. When I go to the doctor's office... They call out Joseph on my driver's license, on my passport, it's Joseph, but that's, that's not who I am. I don't identify as Joseph, and just because I'm telling you this doesn't give you permission to start calling me Joseph, because I probably won't answer to it. I know myself as Jody, that's my identity, but legally my name is Joseph, and I would change it if I could. I probably can, but that sounds like a big headache to go through all the legal steps, so I just, I don't do it. So what's in a name? What's your name? What does your name mean? What does it represent? I want to just try a little practice to make sure that everyone knows their name today. So on the count of three, will you just say your name out loud with me? Let's try this. One, two, three. Good job. Evelyn, I heard that one. That's good. Okay, most of you know your name. Some of you are still thinking about that. And I can't help you with it if you don't remember your own name. A lot of names are represented in this room right now. There's probably some duplicates. I was watching Sports Center a few weeks ago, and someone named Michael Smith was in the highlights, so the guy doing the highlights said, everybody knows a Michael Smith. And while he said that, I was in a text group with a Michael Smith, and I thought, there are a lot of names that are repeated depending on what generation you were born in. Um, but everybody is unique. Everybody, you have your own name, and your own name comes with a story. And in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew starts with, if you just scanned over Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, it's just a bunch of names. Right? But every name in Matthew chapter 1 has a story. Let's start in Matthew 1, starting in verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, The son of Abraham. Those are three powerful names. Those are three pillars of the faith. Jesus, Abraham, David. Now, it would make sense for most Jews in the first century to trace their family tree through Abraham because he was the father of everyone. But to say the son of David, now that's making a bold claim. That's claiming some messianic credentials. And that's exactly what Matthew is doing for Jesus through this family tree. And then you just have a bunch of names, starting in verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram, and Aram, the father of Amminadab and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and I could keep going on, but I'm going to stop there. If you do it fast enough, people can't tell that you're mispronouncing a lot of the names. (laughs) We start in the New Testament. The first book you come to is Matthew. And what you see is this slow curtain raiser. We just have a bunch of names. Now, if, if I was recommending a new Bible reader, where do you start? Maybe Mark would be a better idea. Because Mark is action-packed, and Mark just jumps into the story, but Matthew starts in what we would consider a strange way, but to a first-century Jewish person, this is a completely natural way to begin. This is the obvious way to start the story. Because who you were, where you came from, your family tree, that shows your identity. So a genealogy makes perfect sense. Because Matthew tailors his gospel towards those of a Jewish background. And what this reveals, and all these names are connected with the Old Testament, all these different stories, is that the roots of Jesus go deep. You know, Matthew doesn't tell us, here comes this guy out of nowhere, and he just is a human being. No, he's connected with all these different names. And it shows us that God has always been involved. All these names and all the strange stories that go behind them that we read about in the Old Testament, God has been working. Even in some of the darkest moments of Israel's history, God has been working behind all these names and behind the stories of all these names. But if you study the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 very long, or you read commentators, or you hear different preachers talk about it, somebody inevitably is going to point out that the genealogy is not what's strange. What's strange is that the names of some women are mentioned. That is what was uncommon. Usually, the family tree was traced through the men. But Matthew does something kind of strange. He sprinkles in the name of a few moms in there. Not every mom, he leaves plenty out, but he includes a few, and that, that is what would have been strange when reading Matthew chapter 1. And what we see in the name of the women that are mentioned is there's a certain story behind each one. Starts with Tamar in verse 3. Uh, Tamar, her story is found in Genesis 38, dresses up up like a prostitute, seduces her father-in-law Judah, they have a child. Uh, As I've been going through this sermon series talking about Emmanuel, um, I dodged that. Instead, I focused on Hagar because the story in Genesis 38 is a little bit raunchy. You know, it's just not a clean story, yet her name is mentioned. And then you get to verse 5, and Rahab is mentioned. We looked at Rahab a few weeks ago. Her story is found in Joshua chapter 2. Her family saved in Joshua chapter 6. All throughout the Bible, Rahab is known as Rahab the prostitute. And she was a Gentile. Well, then you get to Ruth in verse 5. And we looked at Ruth last week. Her story is clean. Her story is nice. But she's a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. You know, she's not a part of the clan. She, because of her mother-in-law, says, your God will become my God. Then she moves back to Bethlehem. So what we see so far in the random names of the women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy are they're either outsiders or there's a really messy story connected with it. And then... We have not Bathsheba's name, but we have the wife of Uriah, or Uriah's wife. And if you need a reminder of that story in Second Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, David sees Bathsheba. He wants her, he sleeps with her, and he has her husband killed. So she's not mentioned by name, but it's mentioned that that was Uriah's wife, not David's wife originally. So all these stories, either outsiders or they're kind of messy, they're not perfect little stories, and these are the names that Matthew chooses to include. I think this foreshadows what we see in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus came to save messy people just like that. If you look at the type of people that flocked to Jesus, none of them really had a clean story. Right? And then we skip down, and I'm not going to read all the names, but you can skip down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So we have the fifth mother that's referenced or mentioned in this genealogy, and this time it's Mary. So what Matthew's about to do is just really hone in and focus on Mary and this child that she has that is no ordinary child, and it's no ordinary child even for this crazy family tree that they have. In verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. You know, this was when Matthew wrote the gospel in the first century. You could go to the temple and you could find official records. But for the most part, this was before the printing press. This was before they had books. So the way to know your genealogy was to memorize it. And so the way that Matthew structures the genealogy is for memorization purposes. It's a memorization aid. So you can memorize the names of Jesus, and I challenge someone to do that. I'm not going to, but I challenge you to do it. And you can just kind of see how he connects with the entire story. But it seems like for human genealogy purposes, they've been exhausted. And the list kind of comes to an end or to a stopping point here. It comes to its culmination, and then God steps into the story through Jesus. Look at verse 18 and following. We get this more detailed story of the birth of Jesus and how this all came about Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph but before they lived together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit What he's trying to tell you is she's pregnant and it's not Joseph's so they're married that was a very important thing in the Jewish culture uh, they're engaged but they're not married yet In verse 19 her husband Joseph being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Uh, we're told he's a righteous man. The The background, the root word for this is this Hebrew word, sadik That means that Joseph, probably being a poor man, was still a devout Jew. He observed the Torah and obeyed all the commands. He supported the local synagogue. He went to all the religious festivals and feasts and You know, he did all the right things, observed the food laws. You know, he was a righteous man. And legally, because Mary was his fiance, he could take her to court and lay down the law on her instead. Because he's a good guy, he's going to divorce her quietly or dismiss her quietly. And I imagine that was probably painful for Joseph. Probably confused at why this is happening to him. But he wants to do the right thing here. But then in verse 20... God interrupts his life, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, connecting him more with that genealogy, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is in a dream. God often biblically will communicate to people through dreams and visions, but even in a dream, I would probably be thinking, what? What does Joseph know about the Holy Spirit? You know, this is before Acts chapter 2. We, we as Christians know a little bit more about the Holy Spirit from Acts chapter 2 and beyond, but what does Joseph know about the Holy Spirit? He knows the Spirit of God hovered over the waters in creation. He knows the Spirit of God would come and go on people, but the Spirit of God now is working in ways the world has never seen. Your fiancé who's pregnant, don't divorce her because she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 21, she will bear a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, naming a child is a big deal. If you have children, you probably know that. Their name goes with them for the rest of their life. Their name becomes a part of their identity. When my oldest child, Addie, was born, we named her Addie, because that's the only name that we could agree on. Anybody else had that same problem? Now, I don't even know what Addie means, but we had a big list of names and we went through it. She would say no, I would say no. Most of the time, a name that was offered, if, it, if I knew somebody from the past, I'd be like, no, I can't think of my child being named that. And so we just went through this huge list for months and finally we just agreed on Addie. Now, I'm glad her name is Addie. She's kind of lived that and that becomes a part of who she is. But that's how we made that decision. We named my son Christian, because when he found out he was a boy, we had a feeling he might be a little bit wild, so we thought we'd get a head start and go ahead and name him Christian. (laughs) But his middle name is Mordecai, which is a weird name. And if somebody's in this room right now named Mordecai, no offense, but it is a strange name. Uh, Mordecai in Hebrew means warrior. So when we first found out we were having a boy, you know everybody always says, what are you going to name him? What are you going to name him? So as a joke, I would say Mordecai because it means warrior. Well, my daughter was three years old at the time, so she started telling everybody her brother's name was Mordecai. Everybody at church, when we would go to a store, when we would go to the doctor's office, what's your brother's name? Mordecai. So she believed that was going to be his name. So when my son was born... I said, let's at least keep Mordecai and put that as his middle name. So now for the rest of his life, when we're dead and gone, he's going to have to explain to people why he has the middle name Mordecai. But naming a child, it's a big deal. You know, it's their identity. It goes with them for the rest of their life. And in verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, name him Jesus. And I don't think he says name him Jesus, because here's a name that you and Mary can agree on. Jesus in Hebrew is Joshua or Yeshua, and it would have been a popular boy's name at the time. But I don't think that's the reason. Well, here's a a common name. Name him this. He says in verse 21, Name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves or Yahweh saves. He's named Jesus because of his purpose, because of the reason why he's coming in the first place, and that's to save all of humanity. Jesus will live into his purpose. He's not going to have to go to the courthouse later on in life and try to change his name. No, he is named this because that symbolizes what he came to do. Uh, Max Licato is a pretty well-known christian author and speaker and i'm sure he's written this in some of his books but i heard him say it in a sermon recently but he talked about the depth of jesus's name and what he came to do and kind of gave three points to help understand it he said the believer the follower of jesus is saved from the guilt of sin it doesn't mean that we'll never feel guilty about what we do But we don't have to eternally live with guilt because we can't save ourselves. So the blood of Jesus saves us from the guilt of sin. And the believer is being saved from the problem of sin. So you think about discipleship. You know, at our church here, we place a a high emphasis on discipleship, on following Jesus, on maturing disciples, because in this life, we don't have to live it in the gutter, you know. We don't have to live in habitual sin. But because of Jesus, because of following him in discipleship, we're being saved from the problem of sin. And we will be saved from the punishment of sin. Because he's born as a child, as we've already talked about this morning, and some of the words have been spoken, he didn't stay as a child. He grew up and became a man and died on a cross and stepped in our place. Well, Max calls this full-service salvation. The angel says, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So you just look at that name, Jesus. The most well-known name in the history of the world. It's a name that people use to curse. It's a name that people confess. It's the name that demons will shudder it's by the name of Jesus that people believe and are willing to die for this name. It's the name of Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And we know him as Jesus, right? But there's this other name that we've been talking about pretty much all month that's kind of tacked onto this in Matthew chapter 1, and it's the name Emmanuel. So in Matthew 1 verse 22, all this took place to fulfill would have been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. If you read all of Matthew's gospel, because he's focused on a, more of a Jewish audience, you know, he's fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies and he uses this word quite often. So here he quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us, or God is with us, as Leonard read this morning. So they never called him Emmanuel. We don't really call him Emmanuel, but this name Emmanuel coming from the prophet Isaiah really represents what's happening. The culmination of the genealogy, and now God steps into the story. God with us. We're not alone. We've looked at this sermon series at some of the names of the genealogy and how God was with us before the birth of Jesus and now in the fullest sense God comes to be with us. God steps into the story. Back in 2011 when Jessica and I were living in Africa I've mentioned in different stories before that we would have to leave every three months to renew our visa in the country we were in. So all the missionaries said, if you've got to leave, you might as well go to Zanzibar. Anybody ever heard of Zanzibar? It's this little island off the coast of Tanzania, eastern Africa. So we thought, why not? Beautiful place. we got to leave. We've got to come back. We'll stay in Africa. So we went and we paid the money for the flight and for the trip. And then we found out afterwards that Jessica was pregnant. And in her first trimester, she was very sick. But the trip The time for the trip came, and I thought, well, we're still going on this because we paid for it. She can just kind of tough it out. So we flew Rwandan Air, which is a very shady airline. We flew into an airport in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. We got a cab, which was even shadier. Then we got on a plane that looked like this, which was even scarier. And we flew over part of the ocean to Zanzibar. We landed, and the excitement is starting to build. This is a beautiful place people come from all over the world to go to this island we get out we get a cab and apparently there's no rules or laws there so this guy's going like 120 miles per hour to take us to our resort it's a heavily islamic part of the world so there's a mosque on every corner and it was like afternoon prayer so all these men were in the mosque praying and i'm just seeing mosque after mosque and i look over at jessica and was rewinding she just looks like she's about to vomit and this is how we're starting the trip. So we get there, we get to our room, we walk down the sidewalk, and I'm not exaggerating, this was our view. We're at the Indian Ocean, this beautiful place, and we spent four days there, and I spent a lot of it alone. And one night, I was, had my feet in the water, and I was just looking out over everything, Jessica was in the room sick. She just wasn't feeling up to being out there. And I was looking out over everything, the sun's setting, and I'm like, this is beautiful. This is like a postcard. This is what people travel to see, and yet I still feel a little bit empty. Like I still felt alone. The person that I came there to enjoy it with wasn't able to be with me. And so there was this bit of like emptiness and, and loneliness like you can travel to some of the greatest destinations in the world, or you can make the most money in all the world, have all the possessions you could possibly think of, but there's still a chance that you might feel alone. You might feel lonely. And I know at this time of year, it's exciting because it's Christmas, but there's still plenty of people that do feel alone. For whatever reason, maybe you're struggling in your marriage or with your children, or maybe uh, you're frustrated with being single, or maybe you're widowed and you're missing someone at this time of year. I know that there's a lot of people who are hurting right now that are in this audience. But this message, God with us, is God's way of going out of his way to communicate to us, you're not alone. We're not alone. Because of Jesus, he experienced what it was like to be born, to grow up, to experience pain, to experience family difficulty, and Jesus himself experienced isolation and being alone on the cross. So God knows what it's like, and he goes out of his way to say, you're not alone. He steps into the story. And at the end of his life, after Jesus dies on a cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, given his final commission to his disciples at the end of the book of Matthew, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And you've heard this before. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. But then Matthew ends his gospel with these words of Jesus, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. The last thing that Matthew communicates from the words of Jesus, that I am with you always. That's the message he's trying to convey, is that he's here to save us, and he's with us. He steps into the story. And then, in Matthew 1, verse 24, Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. He had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. He obeyed the command of the angel, and he named him Jesus. And what I'm drawn to about this story are so many things, but one of the things I'm drawn towards is that there's kind of this subtle message in the Bible that there's a new name that awaits us. You know, in Revelation 2, one of the churches is told, you'll turn over the white stone, and there you will receive your new name. And when we were in Africa, we were working with street kids, and there was this language barrier. We spoke English, they spoke Kenyan Rwandan. And we were learning their language, they were learning our language. But when we worked with these street boys, because of the language barrier, one of the best ways to connect was to learn their name. And those were difficult names, names like Diodone or Jean Vier or Yves, and Vise was a name, and Gilles. And then one kid's name was Peter, and I was like, I know this guy. That's an easy name to remember. But they pronounce it Pita or something. You know? So I, learning all these names was difficult, especially for someone who's from northeast Texas and has difficulty pronouncing names with like this French, Kenyan, Rwandan background. So I'm learning these names, and one of the names of one of the kids is Baby. So I was like, well, that's easy enough, but I wanted the background. I wanted the story behind why his name was Baby. And they said, because he doesn't know his name. He doesn't know his parents. He has no idea if he was given a name at birth or not. And that was probably the saddest story I heard while I was there. Here's this nine-year-old boy with no name left to raise himself on the streets, but he didn't go nameless because God gave him a name. He was adopted into a new family because of this ministry, and he did receive a name because God doesn't let you go nameless. You're given a name. All throughout the Bible, God has been kind of in the business of adjusting or renaming people. You know, he names Abram, Abraham. He names his wife, Sarai, Sarah. He names Jacob, Israel. Simon becomes Peter. Saul becomes Paul. He's in the business of renaming people and changing and transforming people. I've been really drawn lately to this Native American history and this renaming process. If you look at the Native American history or you watch a movie or something, usually there's some sort of name like Tall Chief. Right? or Red Hawk, and there's all these different names that kind of symbolize either something they've earned or something they're going to become and live into. So it, keeping that theme of Native American naming, um, someone asked me recently, if you could daydream with God, and God were to give you a new name, what would he give you? You know, Keeping that theme of like, the Native American culture in mind, what name would God give you? And I didn't really know, I didn't have an answer to it, but I thought that's a nice thing to contemplate. But the more I immersed myself in Matthew chapter 1, I thought, well, I do know one thing. That because of Jesus, and because I've been baptized into Christ, and because this is my life, I am Jody, whose sins are not held against Him. That could be my name. Or I'm Jody, who's not alone. Because of this story, because of the name of Jesus, because of the name Emmanuel, I'm not alone, and I don't have to answer for my own sins because Jesus did it for me. So whatever name you said at the beginning of this lesson, you could substitute your name and say, because of Jesus, my sins are not held against me. Because of Jesus, I'm not alone. I preached about the naming process at the Highway 80 Men's Chapel about a month ago. And after the lesson was over, you know, I usually stick around and talk to some of the guys that are in the room. And one of the guys came up to me and he said, most of my life, my name was JD. Everybody called me JD. He said, but I lived a pretty rough life that was filled with addiction and marital problems and problems with my kids. And he said, I was in and out of jail. And he said, there was a certain point where I realized I can't live like this anymore. So he said, I made a decision to follow Christ. And he said, when I was baptized into Christ, I asked for all my friends and family to stop calling me JD and to start calling me Jimmy. Because he said, that was my other name at birth. And he said, that was eight years ago and nobody's called me JD ever since. And he said, I put that person behind. And he said, because of Jesus, I've lived into this new name. And it doesn't mean that you have to actually change your name or that you will receive a new name. But because of Christ, when you're in Christ, because of his name, our name carries something else with it. Our name means something because of Jesus. I mentioned at the very beginning of our service this morning that we're going to have shepherds that are around this room that would be glad to pray with you. And I know this time of year, some of you need some prayers some of you, maybe you need to talk to a shepherd privately. And we have elders that love you that will be around the room. One will be up front we will be glad to do that. If you haven't met Jesus and put the old life behind and put on Christ and baptism, that invitation is for you as well. If you need anything, I want to invite you to stand back up and respond during this time.